Up on the screen is Carl Wallander. He's an old school daredevil. Okay? He is a high wire artist. And he's been known through the 20th century for doing high wire tricks with no safety net. So think kind of big buildings, one wire, walks across. Okay? He had a mantra. It's on the screen. Life is on the wire. The rest is just waiting. Okay, you've got 30 seconds with the person next to you. What do you reckon his mantra meant? Go. All right. What do you reckon he meant? Someone be brave. Feel free to nominate a friend. Yeah. Um, we're all going to die, so we're all going to fall eventually. Yeah. Yeah, that's too deep, Keenan. What did he mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Where was he most happy? On the wire. Now we go, he's foolish. He's utterly foolish, right? Is he brave? Yeah, he's brave. But for him, real life was being able to walk on that line. Not think about it, not plan it, not worry about it, but doing it. You see, he was a man of active faith. That's what we're talking about tonight. Active faith. Going on a journey into the unknown. Now, active faith is something we do all the time. When a a bride walks down the aisle to marry a husband and start a family, that's an example of active faith. When my six-year-old finally got the courage up from his teacher to walk up the front of his class and do news, active faith. For those of you who got your peas, hands up peas. Anyone got their peas in this room? Who's got a license? Put your hand up. Come on. Nudging into an orange roundabout. That's active faith, right? <laughs> you have no idea what that person's going to do. What are the rules in this town? Okay? For some of you, active faith was coming to Orange. You left your home and your your church behind. For a bunch of you at school, you're going to leave. Active faith is going to Bathurst or Uni or Newcastle and going, okay, God, I'm there. What's next? Active faith is counting down from 10 as you get an anaesthetic. You see, life in the macro, life in the micro is all about choices of active faith. Stepping into the unknown, trusting someone else, and things are not, out of con- not in your control. I think it's been a wonderful journey in Genesis. I've just loved walking through it with you guys. And we've been able to sit in God's Word, and God's Word has kind of taught us about His world. And we got the picture of God. For some of you, your picture of God has gone... It's like, whoa, that's God? For other of you, you've just coloured in a little bit. Okay, you've learnt a little bit more about God. The second thing is we've got a picture of ourselves. We've looked in the mirror week after week and we've seen ourselves and we've gone, wow, I am handmade by God. I am no accident. I'm made for relationships. I'm not made to be just solo. I've got sin inside It's not just my outsides. So you've been blown away by a picture of yourself. And then thirdly, we've been blown away by a picture of sin. 
my personal sin, my individual sin, but actually humanity's sin. Seven point whatever billion people sin. And what happens when people sin is the suffering and the climate change and the broken relationships and the sickness and the death that we hate but we live in every day. Now we've got one minute. Which of those three pictures has struck you the most? And if you haven't been here for 12 weeks, that's totally fine. Ask someone who has been here for 12 weeks or 10 weeks, which one of those three has really challenged or encouraged you? Okay? You got the activity? You got 60 seconds. Go. All righty. So where are we? We're at the end of Genesis chapter 1, and tw- 1 to 12 and we're left with a choice tonight. Okay, it's not two ways to live. What it is, is we've got option A. We can be humans that just do Genesis 3 to 11 for the rest of our life like hamsters. We can choose to do that. Whatever Genesis um, 3 to 11, finding significance and security without God, we can just keep doing that. Or we can do option B. And option B is going to be all about active faith. So four points tonight. Number one, broken. Number two, God speaks. Number three, faith is hard. Number four, get on the wire. Already? Number point number one, if you're taking notes, you know where to do. What I want you to do is open your Bibles, go back to 11.10. 11.10. So not what was read, 16 verses before that. Okay, 11 verse 10. You'll be glad to know we are not going to read these 16 verses. All right? But just one verse. Here we go. 11.10. This is the account of Shem's family line. Okay? Now, Shem's family line, if you've been following along, you would have heard it in chapter 10. And when you see Shem, you're meant to think, great, this is the positive one. He was the third son of Noah to be listed, and in Genesis, the third is always the best. Okay, like third children, if those of you are third No, no, I'm just kidding. All right, we're meant to go, here's the blessed one. The problem is, is if you get to read the next 16 verses, it's a real letdown. It's like season two of a Netflix show, right? It's just no good. That's what happens here in Shem's line. What you read is the curse of Genesis 3 is just there. It's all there, all the time. This is death after death after death. There's nothing good. And the ages, the lifespans get smaller, 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 smaller. The eighth generation is listed is Terah. Now, Terah is the dad of Abram, who's also called Abraham in the Bible. Now, I've been here all day, so I'm going to occasionally say Abraham and occasionally say Abram. They're the same people, okay? He changes his name a little bit later in Genesis. Now, we're expecting this family to be great. But on first reading, it's not great, is it? Did you pick up what happened to Terah's family? Terah's son, Haran, died. Sons are not meant to die before their dads. Abraham, another one of Terah's sons, he had a wife called Sarai, and she is barren. She wants kids, but her womb is closed. She can't have kids. And Terah, we read, dies in the wilderness. And so Shem's family line is a picture 
of the broken world you and I live in. There are hints of beauty and joy and incredible opportunities to explore, but Eden, the place of perfection, it's a distant memory. The curse of Genesis 3 impacts everything. So what humanity in Genesis 3 to 11, it's stuck in this broken cycle of strife and suffering and selfishness and grasping and death and loss. And this is option A, I said before. This is the option of humanity if they want to keep living without God. Derek Kidner, old English guy, says this. On his own, man or woman can't get any further than Genesis 11. Put more modernly, William Taylor says this. The progressives, with their high view of human potential, are living in gated communities, unable to see the reality of real humanity. What William Taylor is saying there is in the 21st century, if you look at YouTube and you look at Instagram and you look at the newspaper and you listen to the prophet of the day, Peter Fitzsimons, you think that humanity is amazing. We can do anything. We can fix everything. And William Taylor goes, it's a dream. It's a total lie because we're stuck in Genesis 3 to 11. We're finding our significance and security without God. But you know what? It's into this that God speaks. That's the next verse, isn't it? God speaks. Chapter, Genesis 12, verse 1, point 2. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on the earth will be blessed through you. Do you breathe the fresh air? Do you feel the warmth coming through the passage? Blessing, blessing, blessing. Into a world cursed, God promises blessing five times. He doesn't say, Abram, you fix it. No. He says, Abram, I, God, am going to fix it. I'm going to chase down the curse. I'm going to swallow the curse. I'm going to undo the curse. I'm going to overtone the curse. And I'm going to replace it with blessing. Now, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, very famous verses of the Bible. Why they're important is it's basically a recreation passage. We're meant to have Genesis 1 in our heads as we read Genesis 12. And you guys heard that, didn't you? In Genesis chapter 1, the world was empty and chaotic. At the end of Genesis 11, the world is broken and chaotic. Genesis chapter 1, God summons the entire cosmos into being. Genesis 12, God, sum, God creates a brand new humanity. Genesis chapter 1, God does everything. God speaks and it happens. Genesis chapter 12, God says, I will, I will, I will save. Now we only get a hint of what the blessing is in this passage. We know it's going to be about a family and about a promised land, but what we know as Genesis 1 and Genesis 12 work together is that it'll be just like Eden. God's blessing will be like Eden. What that means is human relationships will be restored. Evil removed. 
suffering finished and the presence of God will be again with humanity. And what humanity can't achieve with their own effort, unity and significance and, and unity, significance and security, God's going to give us. And what we can't fix, we can't fix death, we can't fix cancer, we can't fix sin, God says, I'm going to fix it forever. Absolutely done. Okay, so what is God creating? If this is a creation passage, what's God creating? He is creating a people. See it on the screen? God is creating a people who are blessed to be a blessing. You see, God is going to bless the world, reverse the curse, through people. Now, who are the people? Well, the first person that it is, is... Jonathan, we're in sync. Thank you. Is Abraham. Abram. He is the person who is the blessed person who's going to bless the world. And then after him, it's Israel. Who are Israel? They are the descendants of Abraham. Now, I'm just going to summarize the next 39 books of the Bible for you. They suck, okay? They are a terrible people who are not a blessing. They fail. But then someone turns up, Jesus. Now, he's not the random guy that's always good, right? He is the ultimate child of Abram. That's who Jesus is. He fulfills Genesis 12. What does Jesus do? Well, in Jesus, the presence of God is again with people. His miracles are like a movie preview of what will happen at the end when suffering and sickness and death are no more. And when he hung on that cross, he defeated evil. He was punished for sin and he won forgiveness. Because on the cross, he was given a crown. He became the Lord. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and he beat Genesis 3 forever. What is the curse of Genesis 3? You will die. Jesus rose from the dead, which means death is not the end for us. But then a problem happened, didn't it? Jesus left. The blessed person left. So who is the blessed people who will bless others? You. You are the blessed people who will bless others. See, it's in the Bible. Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You're sitting here tonight and you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, then you are the blessed people of Genesis 12. Does that mean you're materially blessed? Probably not. Many of you are rich. Lots of you aren't. That's not what it's talking about here. Does it mean you're going to get an easy life? No. But you and me, we are justified. We are forgiven. We are adopted. We are loved. 
because we're children of Abraham. And God's presence is in us. We go to church, we go home from church, and the Holy Spirit is always in us. And one day, one day, we will all be in a better Eden with Jesus. The new heaven and new earth where there'll be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more mental illness, no more suicide, no more loneliness, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more death, no more evil. Do you remember when you realised that for the first time? Do you remember when you realised, I am the blessed child of God, that's me. I remember I was 17. I've never forgotten it. And I love it because it never changes. It's there every day because God's doing it. I don't have to do it. I'm always the justified, blessed, saved, forgiven child of God because God does it for me. And it never changes. But I want you to note this. There's a comma. See that comma there? If you're a Christian, Jesus has blessed me. That's totally true, comma, to be a blessing. Genesis 12 teaches us this, doesn't it? God creates a blessed people to be a blessing, to share the good news of Jesus with a broken world. So point three, faith is hard. Let's go back to Terra's family. That's a picture of Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin's famous for being in silent movies. And we've got another little silent movie going on here in Genesis because Abraham says nothing. Totally silent. So what do we do with Abram? Well, Abram is not responsible for the salvation of the world. But Abram's not static. Abram is called to step on the wire. He is called to trust God's promises enough to obey God. And what we learn in this passage is this was really, really hard. Have a look at verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. See, God made a promise to Abram, and it was this. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Do you know if you want to become a great nation, you need two things. You need lots of property, and you need lots of children. Abram had how much? None. Now, can you believe that promise? You haven't got a house, you haven't got land, you've got no children. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Really? And then God says, I'll give you a command. You see it there, did you? God says to Abram, leave everything. Notice the narrow, to the broad to the narrow. He says, leave your country, broad, and he gets really narrow. Leave your household. Each of those steps is more costly than the other. The household for Abram was his way of life, his family, his values, his economic and social security. And God says, leave it all and go to a place you've never seen. Now, why does God make it so hard? It's because Abram had to learn faith. We sometimes think faith is a light switch. Click, I've got faith. No, that's not faith. Faith 
is a growth curve. And when we meet Abram, do you know where he was? He was in Ur. Ur was the centre of pagan worship. He married Sarai. She was named after the local moon god. There is no evidence in Genesis 11 that Abram was a follower of God. So for Abram to, to follow God, he had to learn faith. And that's Genesis 12 to 25. Go home and read it. Great story. But it's a story of Abram learning faith. To learn to trust God's promises enough to obey him. Sometimes Abram succeeds wonderfully and we go, wow. Sometimes Abram totally fails and we go, whoa. But all those pages is Abram learning faith. We need to learn faith. Because you go out those glass doors tonight and you are tempted to cling to the world, to have faith in the world, to put your hope in a career, to put your hope in that dating or marriage relationship you've got, to put your hope and security in something in orange. But look what Jesus says. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must flick a light switch. No. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up a cross, follow me. Jesus says, come and trust me. Come out onto the wire with me. It's not theoretical. You don't come to church and go, I understand faith. No, 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 no. Active faith is stepping onto the wire with Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. We all need to learn faith, whether you've been a Christian for two minutes or 80 years. And do you know what? God, in his grace, how good is God? He gives us a cloud of witnesses, people in the Bible to help us learn faith. As you guys read Abraham's story, you learn faith. As Abraham stumbles, you learn faith. As Peter and David and Ruth and Esther and Paul learn and stumble, we learn faith. I often hear Christians they're so surprised that Abraham stuffed up and David was an adulterer and Ruth stuffed up and Paul stuffed up. We get so... No, 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 no. We should be so surprised when they trust God. That's when we should be surprised because learning faith is hard. I find Christian faith really hard. I find stepping out of a life that I can control really hard. When I read my Bible and God says, trust me with your money, with your career choice, with who to date, with what to prioritise, it's really hard. When God says, admit your sin and don't justify it, I find it really hard. I'm sure you find it hard too. With your career, 
maybe with your relationships with people in this room, maybe just how you use your leisure or maybe your priorities or just, you just love money. Faith is hard. It's hard to learn because it's not theoretical. It's stepping out on the wire. So tonight, where is Jesus calling you to step on the wire with him? Where is he calling you to step out and trust his promises enough that it will be risky for you? If you're not a Christian, he's asking you to step out and become a Christian. It's the greatest thing in the world, but the scariest thing in life. Those of you, most of you have been Christian for more than two minutes. What does it mean for you? Well, he may be calling you to trust him and do nine weeks of Mark. Give up going to the pub and trivia night for nine weeks to learn about Jesus more. It might be that he's calling you to plant a prayer group at Orange High School tomorrow with a bunch of friends. Totally risky. Maybe that's what he's calling you to do. Maybe he's calling you to pray for an opportunity to talk to someone. Maybe it's to start a ministry to help the poor in town. I don't know what he's calling you to jump on the line, but I know he is. Because the Christian life is all about stepping out in active faith with Jesus. I love this church. I've been here eight weeks and I just am amazed by what God is doing in people. Just in the last four days, I've heard of an older bloke who who had the courage to say hard things to a younger bloke about why he was walking the wrong path. That friendship could have died, but he went out in active faith met a beautiful woman, a sister in Christ, and she has now said yes to serving Jesus in an area she does not feel comfortable in, but she knows that she's got time and she's going to have a go. That's active faith. A brother who could easily make excuses admitted his sexual sin to another brother this week and asked for help active faith. A beautiful sister I heard about just yesterday. She met a woman 30 minutes and offered to read the Bible with her. Active faith. That's our church. That's what the Spirit is doing in this church. Active faith is not a test. It is not God testing you whether you're a good enough Christian. It's never a test. What it is, is the Holy Spirit helping you to live the Christian life. It's hard, it's scary, and you've got plenty of excuses. So did Abram. But active faith is option B. Option A, I'll do my life trusting myself. Option B, I'm stepping onto the wire with Jesus. Um, To fuel my heart, I read missionary books. So missionaries are people who leave their countries and they go overseas. And um, there are some stunning women who are missionaries in church history. And if you don't know them, look them up. They are amazing. Here's my favourite. Her name is Mauld Kells. And she's an Irish lady. And um, I just want to read you a little bit of her biography. 
I just love it. Um, I read it once a year and it just helps me just keep things real. She says this, I was beginning to feel that perhaps God wanted me to go overseas as a missionary. But how could I be sure? I was conscious of my inadequacies. These other women were strong and courageous. I could do nothing like that. But that night I was reading my Bible, Revelation 3.8, and I knew God was saying to me, Maud, do you believe in me? I'm calling you to bless others. It was 1964. I was 25 years old. I had no idea what lay ahead. Three months later, God took me from Ireland to the Congo to replace three martyred missionaries. I chose to follow God who promised... I'm with you. That's all you need. Stunning, isn't it? What does our broken world need? Our broken, our broken world needs food, and comfort, shelter. But ultimately, our broken world in the Congo and in Orange needs to hear that God has a plan to bless. That Eden... Perfection is not found in trusting ourselves, Genesis 3 to 11. It is found in trusting Jesus. And that's what God's doing in our world. He is doing Genesis 12. He is building his church of nations. And so he invites you tonight, the blessed ones, to step out on the wire and be a blessing to others. Some of you are thinking, why the heck has God got me in orange? Why am I here for uni or work? I can tell you why you're here. Because you are the blessed people of God brought here to be a blessing to others. That is why God's got you here. And you, this week, are being asked to again bless others. This is our vision statement as a church. I love it. Making disciples of Jesus, God's people taking God's message with God's help to Orange and Beyond. Do you know why I love it? It's Genesis 12. That's all it is. God's blessed people taking blessing with God's help to Orange and Beyond. I love it. Do you know that this week there will be an opportunity to bless people in your life? I guarantee you God will put people in your life this week that you can show and share Jesus with. It probably won't be an invitation to the Congo, but it will be normal people in your life. And you will have an opportunity to share Jesus. Jesus is saying, come on, step out on the wire with me. Will it be risky? Yep. Will it be unknown? Yep. Are you ready? No. But the Holy Spirit is in your heart, isn't he? He's with you. Is it living? Yeah. Active faith is living on the wire with Jesus. We are the blessed people of God. And he's put us here to be a blessing. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for blessing us for giving us forgiveness and adoption and love and hope and assurance and your spirit. We may not have much in this world, but we have you. And we know that every time we step out in faith, you are with us. We are not alone. We are not brave. We are just trusting you. 
As you put people in our path this week, we pray that you will help us not make excuses, to not be scared, but to bless them with the great news of Jesus in our own words, in our own way. Thank you so much we can be part of your plan. In Jesus' mighty name.